Would you take your scriptures and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2, we'll be reading the entire chapter. 2 Peter 2, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of, to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing the law, their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. For And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For those they speak, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. And a sow was having washed to her wallowing in the mire. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we come this morning to learn from your word, to grow in our understanding of your great and glorious covenant. We know the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. We need that foundation. Thank you for providing it in your word. It builds our lives so we can make sense of your word and grow. Help us to hear your word, O Lord, and make our hearts joyful as we live our lives for you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we heard Peter's warning about false teachers and their teaching. It was a very relevant warning to us today. The church today has been flooded, flooded with false teachers, those who want to turn believers away from following God and put them on a path that follows self and the fleshly wants and desires of men. It is being taught in many seminaries today that the church has to meet the felt needs of people if it wants to grow and prosper. The greatest felt need is to make people feel good about themselves. To make them feel good about themselves requires that the gospel, with its clear declaration of sinfulness of mankind, be pushed into the background and hidden from sight. In order to continue to sound like a true evangelical church, after taking such a stand, people are told once we get them in and settled, we'll give them the gospel. I cannot think of anything more deceptive and hypocritical. This says we are going to, in essence, lie to people to get them in a place where we can give them the truth. What does this say of our faith and truth? If we have to deceive people to get them to come hear the truth, do we really believe it has the power to change them? In Revelation, the risen Christ speaks of those who will enter heaven with him. Revelation 22, verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who do not do his commandments. They, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices a lie. Christ says that those who practice falsehood, in other words, those who lie, will not have a place in heaven. Does he make any exception to this? Some would say yes. They would say it's all right to lie to unbelievers in order to bring them to the truth. This is the established principle in Islam, that it is okay to lie to infidels. I cannot, I never will agree to such a deception. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and robber. The only way, the only way for us to declare the truth of God is to tell people the truth up front, that they are sinners lost and without hope apart from the saving grace offered in Jesus Christ. Any other message is a lie, and the one who brings it is a thief and robber. He is one of these false teachers Peter has warned us to stay away from. In this next section, Peter lays out his indictment against these false teachers, and it is a very strong condemnation of them. They are evil and wicked men. They are men who have sold their soul to the devil, sold their soul to the devil. They are committed to the destruction of the truth of God. 
They don't care about anything but their own greed. They will play any part to deceive as many as they can. You must be on your guard against such men. How can you protect yourself? By study of God's word. When the government trains people to spot counterfeit money, they put them through intensive training. They don't show them countless types of forgeries. They show them the real thing, getting them intimately familiar with it. So the forgery becomes very easy to spot. This is exactly the way you have to prepare yourself to spot these false teachers. You have to become so intimately familiar with the truth that the false will just jump out out from the page at you. It will automatically set off alarm bells. In this same vein, you can learn how to deal with those who teach destructive heresies. When people come to your door with heresy, instead of listening to them, you can give them the true gospel. I can assure you if you stand fast on the truth, they will leave and they will not return often. Let's turn to Peter's indictment against these men. First, he charges them with slander, and not just slander of the brethren, but slander of holy things. Second, he accounts to them blasphemy. Third, he imputes to them adultery. And fourth, he sums up the essence of their behavior. Peter begins his indictment against these men, these false teachers who come secretly bringing destructive heresies. Verses 10b through 11, they are presumptuous self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. The first charge Peter lays against these men is their wrong attitude. He says these false teachers come with a presumptuous and self-willed attitude. This indictment would carry with it the idea that these men do not stop to consider the repercussions of their actions. They did not care what God had said. They make their judgments without worrying about his word or his decrees. They follow the old saying, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. In putting the terms presumptuous and self-will together, Peter shows that these men are audacious and self-assured, caring nothing about anything but themselves and to please their flesh. They are so self-centered and self-willed that no other word but arrogance could be applied to them. The phrase that follows this, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, requires some thought to properly understand. There has been much debate over what the term translated here, dignitaries, refers to. Some say it refers to angels, others to men of high standing in the church, and then still others that it refers to the devil and the fallen angels. Some of the other terms used, translated, are glorious ones, glorious beings, angelic glories, dignities, and dignitaries. I like the translation the NIV uses, celestial beings. First, you must answer this question, who are these celestial beings? Jude, in verses 8 through 10, gives some insight into this. Likewise, All these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Same word. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, 
and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So, according to Jude, the devil is a celestial being. He is a creature of great power created by God. Yes, he has rebelled and is condemned, but he's still a being from heaven. This does not mean we should honor him in any way. But it means his judgment and condemnation belong to God and to God alone. Men do not have the right nor authority to speak against Satan before God, just as the archangel did not. We can only declare what God tells us about him in the scripture. Some today tell you, you can take authority over Satan and control him with your words. God never says that. God says, resist him and he will flee from you. He does not tell you to take authority over anyone but your own flesh. In verse 11, it says, The angels in heaven are stronger and more powerful than these celestial beings, but they do, don't do even bring accusations against them. One important thing to learn in this is that God is the only one who can pronounce judgment against sinners. We must not take to ourselves powers and authority God does not openly give us. Those who tell you to do things God never told you to do in his word are false teachers. Their arrogance is the very thing that will in the end bring them down. Dr. Greg Singer, who taught me church history, used to tell us that when you forbid something scripture allows, the next thing you will do is allow something scripture forbids. In other words, these false teachers want to deceive you into not doing something Scripture allows you so they can lead you into doing something Scripture forbids. This is heresy, setting up a different standard. Peter points out a very dangerous trick they use. They try and make themselves sound so super spiritual by attacking and slandering those Scripture clearly warns us against, but does not give us the authority to attack. Remember the armor of God Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6? He tells you to put on the armor and stand fast. He says, if you do that, you can resist the attacks of the devil. You are not told to go out and attack Satan. Christ is the one who will do that, and he's the one who will win the war. You are under his command, and you do only what he tells you to do. Please remember, the authority to condemn rests with God and God alone. We do not even have the right to condemn another person, much less a celestial beings, be they good angels or fallen angels. The church, through its officers, has the responsibility to declare those who refuse to hear the truth and obey it non-believers. But it is God and God alone that will condemn them eternally. Please note that the main point here is not the condemnation of these celestial beings, the reviling accusations of these false teachers. These men are so bold and so arrogant as to think they can ignore God's word and slander whomever they want to slander. Dr. Kistermaker gives this quote from the book of Blasphemy written by Peter Davis. The devil himself is not the object of insult. The New Testament looks on such mockery as gross presumption, a pride based on a false claim to knowledge and power. These men want to take to themselves the very power and authority of God to declare who is and is not guilty. 
in their boldness and with their arrogant attitude, they think they're more powerful than anyone else. They think they have all the knowledge and can better discern things than even the angels can. They work hard to show themselves to be equal to God. Because of such ideas, they work their own destruction. Peter continues with the charge of blasphemy. Verse 12. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. This is a very strong denunciation. Peter does not try to soften this up in any way. These are people that think they're so smart that they live in absolute ignorance of God's word. Their ignorance is leading them to destruction. They don't have any wisdom. If they knew God's word, they would know all they had to do was ask, and God would give them his wisdom. They live their lives with but one goal, and that's to teach destructive heresies. Listen again to Jude, verse 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. You can see in both Peter and Jude the ignorance and slander of these false teachers. They show these men as nothing more than brute beasts, unreasoning animals. You understand, animals that live only on instinct and never grow in knowledge are animals given by God to men to be used to meet their physical needs. These men were placed here for God's purpose as an example to God's people of the judgment of God against rebellion. Peter showed this in verse 6 with reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. God made them an example, an example of what would happen to the rebellious. These men, because of their arrogance, speak not only against celestial beings, but against everything that comes from God's word. Peter says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. They're blind, they're lost, and understand nothing, nothing that comes from God. Therefore, they blaspheme whenever they open their mouths and act spiritual. This is a sin against the third commandment. Consider Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The misuse of the Lord's name is the blasphemy Peter is ascribing to these wicked men. Listen to the Shorter Catechism, questions 54 through 56. Question 54. What is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. Question 55. What is forbidden in the third commandment? The third commandment forbiddeth all profaning and abusing of anything whereby God maketh himself known. Question 56. What is the reason annexed to the third commandment? The reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. These false teachers Peter is speaking about have done just what the catechism says is forbidden by the third commandment. They profane the things of God by speaking about them when they are completely ignorant of the truth. 
They take the names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works of God and misrepresent them. Peter says they will be destroyed by their own actions. The catechism says even if men do not charge them and bring them to justice in this lifetime, they cannot escape the judgment God has waiting for them. They will join the devil and his horde of fallen angels in the lake of fire. In the next two verses, Peter adds to his judgment the charge of adultery. While some may think he means they committed adultery in the flesh, I think he speaks to a greater sin, spiritual adultery. Some say that all sin is spiritual adultery. While it is true all sin is a turning away from God, I believe the Bible has reserved the term adultery in a spiritual sense for those who turn away from God willfully to follow other gods. These false teachers that Peter indicts have done exactly that. Verses 13 and 14. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin enticing unstable souls. They have a heart in covetous practices and are accursed children. In the first sentence of this section, Peter uses a play on words. In the New American Standard Version, in 2 Peter 2.13, catches this play the very best. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. What Peter is doing is pointing out that Scripture teaches in other places, such as Galatians 6.7, a man reaps what he sows. These false teachers will reap exactly what they sow. They sow deceit and lies. They will reap destruction and death. Peter shows some of the things that go with their deceit. He says, those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Now please, don't think this means it's all right to go out and carouse at night. That's not what he's talking about. What he shows is, while some people commit their sins in darkness, these men don't try to hide anything. They think their sin is even a badge of honor. They can do anything they want to do, and God will not punish them because they think they're his equal. This goes back to a Gnostic idea of the separation of spirit and flesh. The spirit is good and the flesh is evil. Therefore, it doesn't matter what your flesh does. This is not what the scripture teaches. It teaches the whole nature of man, spirit, and body. Therefore, the body must be brought under control of the spirit and kept there. The next phrase shows this even clearer. He says, There are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. He calls them spots and blemishes. In 2 Peter 3.14, he says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, being with Christ, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish. And blameless. Sorry. You can see the idea of being with Christ is exactly opposite to what Peter says of these false teachers. You're to be spotless, blameless, and at peace. These false teachers are spots and blemishes. As a believer, you're being molded into the image of Jesus Christ. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1.19, Christ is a lamb without blemish or defect. 
These men are the exact opposite. They are filled with blots and blemishes, even as they come into the homes of believers and eat from their very tables, bringing with them secretly their destructive heresies. Their eyes are full of all kinds of evil. They will do anything, say anything, and offer anything to pull you away from the truth. Their greatest desire is to seduce anyone that is unstable, anyone who is not yet fully grounded in the truth. Their desire is not to please God, but to bring to themselves as many cohorts as they can. They want to build their own power base. They are consumed with greed. They will offer to men anything they can to get them caught up in the same sins they're in. They don't mind offering worship to men because through their worship, they are the ones with the power. This goes back to the first part of Peter's warning of these false teachers, where he says they even deny the sovereign power of the Lord who bought them. They give no honor to Jesus. They offer no worship to the Father. They accept no guidance from the Holy Spirit. I think the greatest danger in this is the, how subtle they can be. They use Jesus' name. They speak of the Holy Spirit. They pray to the Father in heaven. But they do not do any of these things in the light of what the Scriptures teach. People are being led astray because they are ignorant of the truth taught in God's Word. I've spoken to many people who are hungry for the truth but are caught in the clutches of false teachers who appear to be so spiritual but never teach from the Word. When these people hear the truth, that they are sinners lost and without hope, they are repulsed by it because it's a heart teaching. They are being lied to when told, oh, God loves you and would never send you to hell. My friends, the truth is very clear. Men are all lost in sin, and there's only one way to be saved, and that is by acknowledging yourself a sinner and that you cannot save yourself. You must recognize this lost condition, and you need your need of a Savior. And that is where there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ. You must then humbly come to the foot of his cross and declare yourself worthless and helpless. Once you do that with a broken and contrite heart, he will hear and will save you from your sin and give you his love. This is the true gospel message. And anything else is from the heart of a false teacher and must be rejected. In these last two verses, Peter sums up the state of these false teachers. He has pointed out the spots and blemishes of these false teachers. But... He also shows us that God is more than able to rescue true believers from trials brought on by these destructive heresies. Verses 15 and 16. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Peter begins his summation with the statement, they have forsaken the right way. This is the straight way. Peter refers to it as the way, the one and only way to God, Jesus Christ, and the redemption he purchased with his own blood. The implication is that at one time these false teachers pretended to follow the way. They only came into the church in order to deceive, and they quickly left the way and went down their own destructive path. 
Remember what the word heresy means? To follow a different standard. These men have left God's standard and followed one of their own making. He says they have forsaken and left the truth and followed their after error. They had nothing, nothing to hold them to the truth. They didn't have new hearts. They didn't have new spirits because it's clear to see they did not have the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel says when you receive the new heart and the new spirit, you also receive the Holy Spirit, and his work is to hold you to the right path. They wandered off because he was not in their hearts. They wandered off to follow foolishness. He says they have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor. Balaam was a prophet of God. Don't let this cause you problems. Remember, a prophet is only one called by God to deliver his message. Even Caiaphas, the high priest, who was responsible for Christ's trial, prophesied that Christ would die for the whole nation. God can call someone to speak his words without them being one of his children. Balaam was such a prophet. He was greedy, presumptuous, double-minded, and wicked, and he was in the end punished for his sins. Yet he was spoken spokesman for God and delivered God's message to the king of Moab. He was a foolish man who thought he could circumvent the words of God by his own cunning. How foolish was he? He was so foolish that God spoke to him and corrected him through his own donkey. Now, one of the one of the most interesting things of this whole account to me is that Balaam answered the donkey as though it was an everyday event to talk with a donkey. He was so focused on the evil he was going to do, he failed to see the absurdity of the way he was being rebuked. It was only after God opened his eyes to the danger of his situation that he realized the rebuke. Even then, he did not turn from his desire to thwart God's word. He delivered the blessing on Israel instead of the curse he promised the king. In Revelation 2.14, it's revealed he tried to interfere by telling the king how to hurt Israel. He told him to send his women into Israel's camp to lead the men into sexual sin. This is exactly how these false teachers work. If they can't pull people away one way, they'll seek another way and another way until they are successful or God removes them. They are bound to the lies they tell. And they can come across as being very sincere. The only way you tell what is really going on is when you know the truth of God's word, the power of the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, I cannot tell you enough that the only way to prevent your being deceived is to study God's word. You must learn what this message brought by Jesus Christ really says about men, their sin, and their need, as well as what it teaches about Jesus Christ and his church. You must pay attention to the indictment Peter has laid out against all who would follow some other gospel. There is but one gospel, and there is but one way to God, and they are one and the same, Jesus Christ. You cannot learn how to avoid the lie by studying the lie. To recognize the lie requires intimate knowledge of the truth. Please, give very careful consideration of the teaching you're getting and of the preaching you're hearing. It is founded on the truth. It is centered in Jesus Christ. 
No other preaching can help you grow in grace. Hear God's word and stand fast in it. Do not be blown about by every wind of doctrine, but let the truth be your anchor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with hearts that are full of your truth. You have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. You have made it clear that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We seek with all of our hearts this glorious gift. We ask you for the strength and courage to stand fast in your word, not be tripped up by those who refuse to follow your word. Give us the insight we need to tell the difference between truth and lie. Guide us through the evils of this world and in the glories of the world to come. In Christ's name, amen.